inside the service sheet. And let me pray as we prepare them for God's word. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way in which you have used human words to speak truths about yourself uh, and help us to see tonight um, how we can respond to you uh, when things are not necessarily easy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I said, we're continuing on in our Summer Psalms series. And many of the Psalms are uh, songs of praise and, and uplifting in nature. And so summer in the new year, it feels appropriate to do a psalm series. There's a sense of optimism which just exists at this time of year. And certainly the first two psalms that we looked at in this series, they, they capture that, don't they? If you were here two weeks ago, Mike preached on Psalm 1. That is a, a hymn largely about God's blessing. Hear this, it says, Happy is the man whose delight is in the Lord's instruction. Whatever he does prospers. Or Psalm 8 last week, a declaration of adoration and praise to God. O Yahweh, my Lord, how great is your name in all the earth. Out of optimism. And maybe that's more or less how you're feeling right now. 2019's behind you. You've had some decent family time over Christmas. You've just gotten back from holiday or summer school. Maybe you're still on holiday. There are plenty of times in life, and this could be one of them right now, when it is feels entirely appropriate to respond to God in that way, in the way of Psalm 1 and the way of Psalm 8. And yet I suspect that not all of us feel that way, certainly not all, all the time, certainly not entirely, maybe not even now, early on in January, early on in this, this fresh new year. Yes, you've managed to relax and celebrate over the past month, but that celebration, that joy has been tempered. Maybe it's been tempered by the, the smoke haze that you see and smell and cough day in, day out. And the news reports of ever-growing destruction in our country from bushfires. Or maybe it's from more personal circumstances. Things that have affected you closer to home. Maybe, maybe there's been a loss in your family that shows no regard for the fact that it's Christmas and a new year. Maybe there have been financial stresses a relationship issue that Christmas didn't fix and only made it worse. An illness you're battling with. These are experiences that we have and they are the experiences that make a stranger of joy and celebration. And if an experience of this sort of suffering is big enough or constant enough, it's like a wave washing over your very soul. A big disrupting wave, not of refreshment, ah, oh, that feels good, but of, of, a, of despair. And these waves of despair, they're, they're almost always unexpected, they're always unwanted. And in the midst of such experiences, the idea of wholeheartedly declaring, oh Yahweh, my Lord, how great is your name in all the earth, it just doesn't fit. It seems inappropriate. How do you respond when such a wave crashes over your life? What do you do? Well, in God's kindness, Psalm 8, wonderful as it is, is not all we have by way of response. We also have Psalm 13. As I said at the top, what's known as a lament psalm. A 
poem or a song expressing an individual's cry, someone who's going through a time of real trial and despair. And in Psalm 13, we discover a man with a despairing soul. But as we listen to his inspired song of lament, we learn, we receive great insight into how we as God's people can respond when waves of despair crash over our lives. By way of context, you'll notice uh, that Sarah read uh, at the very top there, for the choir director, a Davidic psalm. This tells us two things, doesn't it? The first thing it tells us is that this psalm is connected to King David. We spent a lot of time in December thinking about King David's significance to God's plans and to us today. And secondly, it tells us that it's connected to the choir director. That is, this this is a song composed to be sung by others. And so its message goes beyond David's context and can be sung by anyone going through hardship. And you'll see, if you just glance at it, it's reinforced by the fact that there are no specific events from David's life connected to this song, unlike some other psalms. And so like all good poetry, unlike like all good songwriting, Psalm 13 invites us as its readers, as its listeners, to identify its words with our own situation. And so hear that. Hear these words and take that to heart. These can be your words too. And the psalm, as I've outlined there in your service outlines it has three distinct movements it begins in a lament it moves to a prayer and it concludes with a note of hope so let's start with that despairing lament in verse one it begins with a series of questions how long how long i remember when i was 18 or 19 going with a mate to bronte beach to do some body surfing so we had no boards we were just going to catch the waves in ourselves but to get to where we could actually catch the waves we had to get past the breakers and this was one of those days where they were just particularly big breakers but they weren't just big they were constant and it was one of those experiences i don't know how long it went for it probably was only 15 20 minutes we put up with this but no sooner would you dive under a wave and resurface then you have to dive under another wave and resurface and get pulled back we made no headway we couldn't get out the back it just seemed never-ending and I remember, you know, you head out in that sort of circumstance and you expect struggle, but not of that magnitude, not of that duration. And as I was forced to dive under wave after wave, I remember thinking some version of how long is this going to go on for? And in the midst of struggle and personal hardship, when waves of despair wash over us, we're often led to times of questioning often led to times of questioning and with no end in sight often the only question we can utter is how long how long is this going to last that's the question that david asks but he doesn't just ask this question into the air how long he asks it to someone and here we're just reminded of the great hope of the person of god that the creator of the universe is someone that can be spoken to and addressed and that is who david addresses here to the one he understands to be ultimately in control. And so you'll see there in verses 1 and 2, four times David asks, how long? One after the other. Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? In the Old Testament, God's remembering and forgetting isn't about his memory, like us. It's about his actions, what he does. And David cannot see that God has done anything to intervene in his plight, in his troubles. 
Instead, David says, God has hidden his face from you. The expression, God's face, it means God's good favour. When God looks upon someone, there is blessing, there is joy, there is peace. You may know of the famous blessing that Moses gives to the Israelites in Numbers chapter 6. Using this language, may Yahweh make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh look with favour on you and give you peace. That blessing is not part of David's present experience. He openly admits here to feeling abandoned by God. Possibly forever. I wonder how that sits with you as you read it. The great King David can say this. But this has had a drastic effect on his very being as he goes on with his final two how longs in verse 2. How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? The term every day could be all day. All day, all night. Maybe you can picture what David might be going through here. Maybe you yourself know what it's like to have so many anxious concerns. that Even when it gets to the sleeping hours, you can't sleep. You lie there trying to go to sleep and these thoughts just weigh on you. That's what David is describing here. And whether the enemy referred to as a person or a, or a serious sickness or death, we don't know. But David feels completely defeated to the point of humiliation. And so he cries out, how long? How long? This is so instructive for us. This is so helpful for us. It reminds us that expressing our feelings to God is not forbidden in Scripture, in the Bible. In fact, it's modelled for us here. It's encouraged. David is emotionally and spiritually hurting. And he doesn't cover his despair with a, with a brave face or a stiff upper lip. He's openly before God, a man of sorrows. And it's raw and it's messy and it's honest. That's how he feels. And we see that in scripture. That's a wonderful encouragement to us. And not just from David. From the vantage point of the New Testament, we're reminded that Jesus himself, in both his humanity and his divinity, was also a man of sorrows. On the cross, he cried out the words of another psalm of lament, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he hung on a human cross, suffering physically, emotionally, and most profoundly, spiritually, Jesus, too, felt abandoned by God. Spiritually, for a time, the eternal son was abandoned by God. Psalm 13, it begins unambiguously as a lament, a despairing lament. This is a man at the end of his rope. If you have ever felt at the end of your rope, it's okay to feel that. You're allowed to express this. There's legitimacy in this response. But significantly, David doesn't stay there. In verse 3, there is there's a change. It's subtle, but it's significant. Consider me and answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes. We see here that David is moving from questioning to pleading. And he makes, in particular, three pleas there. 
First, he asked that in contrast to God hiding his face from David, God would consider him, literally look at him, look at me, God. He also asked that God would answer him, that David would have a sense in, in that God is at work in his circumstances, that he would be able to discern that somehow. And finally, he asked that God would re- restore brightness to his eyes. It's a great phrase, isn't it? Restore brightness. There's so much true emotion in the eyes. You can, your face can try and tell one story, but it's the eyes that really tell how you're feeling. And at the moment, David's eyes are dark. And he wants that brightness. The outward effect of God's inner spiritual blessing. The light that people can only really have when God's face shines upon them and they have his peace. Without this, David says, he may as well, he may as well no longer be living. In verse 3 and 4. Otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have triumphed over him. And my foes will rejoice because I am so weak. Maybe David's talking about an actual foe who's going to rejoice over his demise. Maybe he's talking about literal death, actual separation from this life as a result of serious sickness or of human violence. Or perhaps he's saying that his affliction is just so bad, so severe that he may as well be dead. Either way, David prayerfully pleads with God to change his situation so that in some way God would free him of the causes of his anguish in a way that he can see. And these pleas on the surface may sound a little faithless, a bit like the questioning, but they represent a subtle but significant movement from despair towards hope, like a big ship just slowly starting to turn around. Even though David still has all these major concerns, all these worries in his life, his pleas demonstrate, they demonstrate that cries of lament should move us to petitions of prayer. Cries of lament and pain, as legitimate as they are, should move us towards petitions of prayer. After all, God is not simply some all-powerful but impersonal deity. (laughs) Whom does... David addressed him as in verse 3. He is Lord my God, Yahweh. And so David can lament before God his situation, as well as ask God to change his situation. Because he's not only the all-powerful God, he's in relationship with him. And this is no different for us. We may not be the anointed king of Israel many years ago, but in the New Testament we are reminded that whatever the situation We can talk to God and our prayers will be heard. God will answer and he will act. Hear what Paul says to the Philippian believers. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That will be the result pleading prayerfully before God. Prayerful pleading is part of how God moves us from despair to hope. We see that in these middle verses of Psalm 13. And then in the final movement of the Psalm, verses 5 and 6, we see that there is a response even beyond prayerful pleading. There is the possibility of hopeful calm. Verse 5 begins with that great change-up word, but you know that what's happened prior to this 
We're heading in a different direction. It's all been pretty dark. Verse 5, but, but I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. It's a real contrast to the verse, two verses, isn't it? Contrast to the turmoil of those verses. This is emotional and spiritual serenity. Maybe not an entirely calm lake, but a sea where the waves and the swell just started to go down. Not only does God, David continue to trust God in the present, but what else does he declare? That he will rejoice in God's deliverance of him. That hasn't happened yet. And yet he speaks with such certainty, almost as if this deliverance has already taken place. How can he do that? But he can do that not because of the strength of his faith in God to deliver, but in the object of his faith, in God. God, and in particular, his faithful love. His hesed, that's the word there. His covenant faithfulness. His commitment to his people. A faithfulness David knew well of. His commitment to Abraham to make him into a great people who would bless the world. To Moses. To Joshua, which we looked at last year. David was there as king of Israel as a result of God's faithful love. And then to David himself specifically, as we looked at in December. 2 Samuel chapter 7. That's what David means. All of that, when he says in verse 6, he has treated me generously. And it gives him a sense of calm, of hope. He knows who God is and what he has done. Since we've been spending a lot of time in the water images, I'll bring one more to us. As I've mentioned before, um, I used to go up to the Port Stephens area many years in a row, go on holidays. And we sailed a lot with my dad. And initially he had a, quite a small boat, a catamaran, one of those two-hole ones, 14 foot, not very big. And Port Stephens is a pretty big but placid port. It's pretty uh, unthreatening. But we got into some hairy situations over the years, particularly when my dad had ambitions to sail around the heads. So we took off from Hawks Nest Ocean Beach and then headed out past the heads, which means you're going into open water and then back into the calm of Port Stephens. And that, that first time we did that, that was scary. The first time I ever heard my dad use a bad word and there were two metre swells. But I can honestly say this about that situation. In fact, I know that this is even what I was thinking in the middle of that situation. I had implicit trust. To be honest, I really never did think, I mean, benefit of hindsight is incredibly dangerous, but I didn't ever really think that I was going to go under because I knew my dad loved me and would do everything in his power to deliver me into the safety of Port Stephens. And I also knew how able and experienced my dad was at handling a boat. And so even in the midst of these two-metre swells, I had a sense of calm. I had a hope. And that's a little bit what David seems to be referring to here. He knows that despite the anguish of the present, that he will sing to the Lord, that his heart will rejoice in God's certain deliverance. Even if that deliverance doesn't look exactly what he thinks it will look like in this present. Because of who God is and because of what he has done. And because of who God is and because of what he has done, David is able to move, incredible as it seems, from a place of despair and lament to one of calmness and hope of who God is and what he has done. 
does this mean that David is instantly going to feel happy in the present? Or that his afflictions are just going to vanish like so much thin air? No. But he has received a peace from God, which, to use the language of Philippians, surpasses every anxious thought of his, that he's now guarding his heart and mind. You can sense that in these final two verses. And because of God's work for us in Jesus, that hope, that calm is possible for us too when the waves of despair are threatening to overwhelm us. Because of the man of sorrows. Because of the man of sorrows, we can be people of sorrow for whom sorrow is not good. Because of the man of sorrows, we can be people of sorrow for whom sorrow is not the end. Jesus is the man of sorrows in the Bible because, because he who knew no sin became sin for us. That is sorrow. He who knew nothing but perfect love experienced complete rejection for us and by us. Sorrow. He who knew nothing but the peace of perfect, unspoiled, eternal holiness experienced human sadness and loss and anguish, and pain. Great sorrow. Why? So that one day we would not have to. Does this mean that just by knowing this, and just by believing this, we will instantly feel happy in the present? Or that our, our afflictions will necessarily disappear? It doesn't mean that. But because of who God is, and what he has done, that truth will enable us difficult as it may seem at the time, to move from a place of lament and despair to one of calmness and hope. We too can sing to the Lord because in the life that we have, just by being the life that can be had for us, and most importantly, in the new life that Jesus has secured for us, God has treated us generously. And so we too look forward to a future when our hearts rejoice in God's deliverance. A future which, as we know from the book of Revelation, where there is no, where grief, crying and pain will exist no longer. What about the here and now? What does it look like in particular for us here at Minchinbridge to embrace the truth of Psalm 13? Well, I think we should find ways to lament with one another. I don't think that comes easily to any of us. But when the waves of despair hit, we need to ask ourselves seriously, what's, what space is there here at Minchinbridge for people to express the sort of things that David is expressing? And we have formal ways that we do that. We have discipleship groups where people meet in smaller groups where they can build those sort of relationships of trust and openness and walk alongside one another where if they're feeling this way, they can say to someone, I feel forgotten by God. Let's pray about that. And maybe you're in a discipleship group. I hope if you're in that group, prayer is not just left to the end. You know, five minutes. Maybe you're in a prayer triplet. Don't just pray it up for praise sake. Allow room for lament. But also remember... This is for the choir director. 
Is there a place for congregational lament as we meet like we are doing just right now? It was a psalm to be sung by people like us. What space is there for that here at Minchinbrook? In the songs that we sing, how many of them allow us to express in song the sort of things that David expressed in song here, that he wrote to, so that his fellow Israelites could express in song together? Paul Hallam and I, uh, who runs Morning Music, have been putting together a bit of a music guidelines document in preparation for our launch day in a few weeks' time. Uh, we've outlined a series of aims for Minchinbury Music, and one of those aims is to sing songs that express the breadth of biblical truth and Christian experience. It's easier said than done, because lament is part of that biblical truth and part of that Christian experience. But as someone who's had to pick songs for many years, there aren't that many out there. And even if we, there were, how comfortable would you be singing a song like Psalm 13 every week or even every month? I don't think I would be that comfortable. But for some people, each week that may be a balm to their soul. Different people it could be. And I think we need to think about that and find a way to encourage one another to do that as individuals in relationship with one another and as a congregation. Because Psalm 13 tells us anything of the value of doing this. It's that we don't just move instantly from lament to rejoicing. We progress there in part by expressing our lament. And remember, both praise and lament are responses of deep faith. It's easy to think of lament as the faithless response. But praise is acknowledging the gracious gifts of God. And lament is acknowledging that God alone is the king who can change our situation and bring deliverance. And I really do believe that if we find space for that in our individual lives, in our family networks, in our congregations, then when we get to Psalm 8, we will be able to say things like wholeheartedly, O Yahweh my Lord, how great is your name in the earth. May that be true of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for the great fullness of it. We thank you for how you worked in the life of people in the past and particularly King David. We can see these words and, where needed, take them as our own. I pray that you, for each one of us here that you may help us see how we can honestly lament the hardships we're going through, that you do not turn us away, that you will move us to a place where we can uh, have that hopeful calm, knowing what you have done for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. I'm going to invite Freywell back up uh, and we're going to finish our time together this first one uh, uses that term that, uh, that Jesus is the man of sorrows uh, and that he has taken our sorrow most profoundly upon himself to know that he identifies with us and the last one is a, is a prayer that God would hear our prayer we cry out to him. Um, in the last song, uh, Bag will go around. Thanks, Cam. <laughs> uh, and most people here uh, who are regularly give uh, electronically, if you're someone who gives, um, 